This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing. And what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways? People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we had to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand sports. You need to be consumed live. And that's a big competitive advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. That's right. Coming up, we're going to check in with Chris Collinsworth. You know the sultry sound of his voice from Sunday night football, (laughs) but we got a little bit of a surprise for you. He is a major business owner as well. All about the data and analysis, something very close to our heart here at Bloomberg. We're going to get inside his company, as well as talk to him about some quarterback controversies across the league, including uh, up there in a little stadium called Gillette Stadium, Lynchy. But first, uh, let's talk a little baseball. Uh, It is the year where they are going to renegotiate the owner's and the players, and we're starting to get some reports, Lynchy, that some proposals on the table and a proposal that if it looks like a salary cap and it feels like a salary <laughs> cap, uh, it may be. They're not calling it that. But what did you make of this initial proposal? It's, it has zero chance of being accepted by the players. Uh, in, in the nature of a Major League Baseball player, the minute they join the Players Association, you're given a sheet of paper that says you must respond no to any proposal right. immediately. <laughs> Your first answer is no. <laughs> it is, is, is no. No matter what is offered, you yeah. must answer no. Uh, Major League Baseball, as we know, is the only uh, league without a salary cap. Uh, the other leagues have adopted salary caps, and they've worked well with the players and ownership. I see a contentious uh, offseason coming up now when the CBA expires at the end of the World Series. Uh, they want to put a, a floor in now of a minimum salary uh, salary cap of $100 million. There's already more than a half dozen teams who are below the $100 million right now. Yeah. And, you know, the players want to increase that the uh, the the, uh, the payroll because and they want to increase the luxury tax. They think that it's more incentive to pay players more. Right. All right. So what's fascinating about this, and and you guys love going into your wayback machine. Let's go into the wayback <laughs> machine and hear from a notable owner who talked about some of the economics of paying players and how owners and players, no less than Mr. George Steinbrenner. Check it out. I feel that it's necessary on the part of baseball uh, at this point to really reassess our priorities. We've gone through, going into the 80s, we've been through a successful period, but a period that has seen costs skyrocket. And uh, as everybody knows, uh, you, baseball is still the best buy in professional sports, and I want to keep it that way. So in order to do that, I think we have to have some semblance of reasonableness in here, and that ownership must regain uh, a position where they can maintain the prices. Uh, for the fans and at the same time be fair to the players. All right. So George Steinbrenner, about 30 years ago, may he rest in peace, uh, Michael Barr. But I mean, there is it's a little bit rich given everything that we've seen with free agency and how everything's changed and different owners 
Steinbrenner, uh, willing to really pay up, to say the least, for players that he's talking about fairness and, and, and mom and apple pie and all that stuff, don't you think? Billy Martin and Kurt Flood are having a talk with George Steinbrenner in heaven right now about all of this. The, I, I, I have mixed feelings about it because my thought was always, well, the salary cap's going to be the owner. If the owner says, look, I can't pay this guy this much money, he's not going to offer that much money. Now, I get why the salary cap is there because the smaller teams are like, hey, we can't compete or this and that, whatever. But you always had a salary cap because the owner's going to say, no, I can't pay that, period. There's a story that Mark Schlereth, when he was playing for Washington in the NFL, that he always talked about uh, when – Back in the day, he had a contract, and the owner called him in, and the owner tore up the contract and said, you're going to sign this new contract for less money. And according to what Schlereth said, he had to sign it because he he didn't have a choice. Uh, You try that today, now it's going to be a totally different thing. So I, I don't know what to think about this and the salary cap because I, you know my motto get what you can while you can and you know if you can make it go ahead i mean lynchy you know you have this situation with baseball it's struggling to kind of stay relevant it even though we're in the midst of a pretty exciting season maybe a little less exciting this week if you're a red sox fan sorry mm-hmm. um but you know you've got a lot of drama Just look uh, down the street from where we are here with the Mets and their owner tweeting about (laughs) some of the uh, lackadaisical uh, performance at the plate. And yet this negotiation, I mean, just to get down to brass tacks, this negotiation is really going to determine the future of this game. This is a big, big time uh, for baseball. And even if this will automatically be rejected, there is some sense uh, of import around this negotiation, don't you think? And without question. And I think there's, there's a looming threat of, of a walkout, yeah. a lockout or a work stoppage uh, come spring training. Um, you know, I miss George Steinbrenner. I, I heard that soundbite right there. It just back back all kinds of memories because he was the big villain he created. I mean, he's talking about something that he actually created. He wanted to control spending. Well, he went out and you know, signed Reggie Jackson, Don Gullick, Catfish mm-hmm. Hunter, Rich Scossage, and they were the haves, and almost the rest of the Major League Baseball were the have-nots. Yeah. And they were competitive with the Dodgers and the Red Sox and all the – and you could just predict every year which teams were going to be in the postseason. Every once in a while, a team like Milwaukee or Kansas City jumps in there, and Tampa Bay, I don't know how right. they're doing it. But, you know, Major League Baseball will never be like the National Football League. It will never have parity as long as it does not have a salary cap. Yeah, interesting to see where this goes. And and you bring up Tampa. I mean, they're one of those teams yeah. that is under the $100 million uh, payroll that that would be, uh, you know, part of this negotiation that is going on. So, so stay tuned for that. I mean, speaking of revenue, you turn to what – leagues other than Major League Baseball are trying to do to sort of fill these gaps. And we're talking about in the NHL helmet uh, logos. We're talking about now in the NHL putting logos on the sweater, as it were. These are logos that have already uh, appeared on NBA jerseys. 
these leagues are trying to find a way to fill these revenue gaps that have been blown wide open, largely because of the pandemic. No fans in the stands. It's, it's interesting. I think back to the conversation we had earlier this week, guys, with Todd Rambasar. He's the CEO of Life Sports Agency. He talked about this very issue and the owners and the players having to come together to figure out these different economics. Check it out. You got to just trust the other side, or you got to tr- you got to work as a as a unit. It's not mm-hmm. players in the union on one side, the league on another side. It's you know you got to deal with matters as a collective to make sure again that you're having the outcomes that are beneficial to both sides. And obviously, he is largely representing players in the NBA, where that relationship is much better. And you are having to figure out whether it is the logo showing up on your uniform, whether it is COVID protocols. You got to trust the other side. And, uh, you know, hopefully that gets you where you need to get, Lynching. Absolutely. I mean, the NBA with these jersey uh, patches, which are not offensive at all. They're pretty much up by the the shoulder strap. They don't bother me at all. Um, but they generated $150 million in revenue. And now they're talking about having a, a virtual uh, images on the on the hard court to while the game is going on. And that won't bother me at all either. Uh, I know I was watching some of the games in the bubble yeah. uh, last year, and that's how they were getting some uh, income and recouping some income. Look, we see it all the time. You watch a golf game, golf has got it all over his shirt, oh, all God, over his yeah. hat. Tennis players have it all over the place. You see it behind home plate and, and, and backstops. It's it's time, and I think that uh, it's it's a great uh, alternative uh, revenue source for the owners. And again, as long as the players trust that, okay, they're making more money, they're making up for the money they lost in right. and in uh, uh, in COVID. I trust them that it's going to work out beneficial for all of us. Yeah, I mean, and in normal times, bar you probably would have players basically saying like, "All right, where's my cut of this uh, this new money?" I mm. mean, just to put one figure around it, the NBA annual sponsorship revenue is one point four six billion dollars. I mean, that's how much <laughs> their the league is getting from sponsors. But uh, does it affect the way you watch a game, bar? Sort of the more kind of commercial pop-ups as it were that that are showing up nhl meet nascar yeah because we're yeah. at nascar any racing fan we're used to that we we will see that in fact the sponsors will stick out a lot more than the driver in some cases unless the driver is a big name yeah because we'll we'll see you know there's the napa car there's it, the lowe's car we'll, we'll see all that going on the track and then realize it's like, oh yeah, those are the sponsors, uh, and it's it's time that has come way overdue. Yeah, and, you know NHL. I well, you remember the day? Here I go again. Remember when the uh, the rink, the wall had no advertising on it? It was just a white wall. That was it. And now today you see it all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and from a Jersey perspective, I mean, look, Europe was way ahead of us in, in this. I mean, if you you've been watching uh football uh as they call it over there you know those jerseys have been uh sponsored for for quite some time so in in some cases it's the u.s catching up today so psyched to be joined by nbc's own 
Sunday Night Football Analyst and Pro Football Focus owner and chairman Chris Collinsworth. It is that time of year. His dulcet tones and visage are going to be in our living rooms before too long. Chris, really good to have you with us. It's great being here. This is fun. We have uh, a little crossover of football, a little business, a little whole thing. Uh, you guys are tapping right into my life. I love this part. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Well, you are, you're living it uh, in many ways, and, and we've got a wide-ranging conversation ahead of us, I know. So, Chris, tell us about Chris Collinsworth, the businessman, because you've created this company. It is so much in the zeitgeist, not just of the game, but candidly. We are Bloomberg, after all. We love our data and analytics, and it's a very interesting product. Break this down for us. I wonder how it came about and 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 how you see it evolving. Yeah, it was – I actually bought it. It's one of the most miraculous stories I think I've ever heard, and I can brag on these guys because I wasn't a part of it in the beginning. Uh, in 2006, a guy named Neil Hornsby, who was in England, fell in love with the game of football. He saw one game with Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins. He was a computer geek, guru, whatever you want to call it, businessman. And he he fell in love with the data and the stats of football. He said they just didn't have stuff like that for uh, soccer and cricket and rugby and some of the things that, that he loved. And so he just, you know, it was the very beginning of the Internet, and he just sort of formed an online club, and a bunch of guys from England signed up, and they just started keeping stats, and they just started talking about the game of football. And, you know, they didn't think anything of it. They all had jobs. They were all doing it as just a hobby uh, in, in the later days. And then one day, the New York Giants, or someone saying they were from the New York Giants called and said, hey, you know, who are you guys? And, and you know, would you mind if we use your data? And, of course, they all fell over dead. They couldn't believe that the New York <laughs> Giants actually were interested in their data, and so they started talking about it, and a relationship was born. And, of course, soon after that, uh, the New York Giants are in the Super Bowl, and I'm calling the game. And my wife, as she will do occasionally, reads me the Wall Street Journal, whatever, New York Times, whatever the case, when we're driving, and she'll read various stories. So this one story popped up, and she goes, oh, you'll find this interesting. I mean, I'm literally driving to call the Super Bowl. That's crazy. And she was telling me this story about this guy, Neil Hornsby, and their company from England, and New York Giants are calling it their secret weapon that's got them to the Super Bowl. And, of course, they won that game against New England in Indianapolis. And and so she wanted me – she goes, yeah, you should tell that story on the air. And I said, I'm not telling a story of some stupid Brit that come up with a couple, <laughs> of, a couple of data points. And I go, are you serious? You know, I'm, like, totally dismissive of the whole thing. So now fast forward about four years – and the NBC wants me to do a post-game show. And I'm like, okay, but I don't always get to see the games during the day. You know, we're putting the final touches on our broadcast, and I've sort of got it on in the background or, or whatever. And so I said, well, there's got to be somebody online that has some, you know, I can fake it with anybody, right? And so I, I, I'm 
so I, I go on and I find this PFF and I go in and it's like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then it's, you could pay twenty six ninety nine, and I go, okay, I put in my credit card and it was really good. And there's, you know, I just done three or four of the teams. And so I knew exactly, you know, what the coaches thought, what I thought, what my own film study said, all these, all that different stuff. And I go, this is amazing. This is really good. So I type in the the little contact us button that nobody ever uses ever on right. the internet. And I type in, I said, Hey, you know, this is Chris Collinsworth. Uh, your stuff is really great. I said, who are you guys? I just assumed they're a bunch of coaches or scouts or all that kind of stuff. And I put my phone number in there. Literally like two minutes later, I get a phone call from this guy with a British accent. And all I can think of is son of a BBB. <laughs> I can't believe this Brit just hustled me out of twenty six ninety nine. That's all I cared about. I, I didn't even think of anything else. I go, I was so mad. So I started firing questions at this guy about inside linebackers and guards and special teams and all the stuff that nobody would know about. After about five minutes of him just firing answers back faster than I could ask the question. I finally stopped again. I said, who the hell are you? This is, what are you? You know, and he starts telling me the story. And within a month, I had bought the company. Oh, my gosh. And so it's been about a five or six year journey here. Uh, We went from like 11 NFL teams that buy the service that now all 32 they had no college football products, so that was my first thing. I said, can you do college football? Because I knew how valuable the draft information would be. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, how many more people would you have to hire? And he goes, oh, you know, I think we had 40 people at the time total working. And he goes, oh, we can do it with our guys. They'll, they'll get it done. Well, now we have 600 and some people doing oh it. Because you know, wow. it's impossible to try. Because everybody wants it sooner, faster, quicker. They want more stuff. I've hired more mathematicians than MIT, I think, to try and figure out what all this data means. And it has just been an incredible journey. It really has been. We've got um, Egon Durbin from Silver Lake yeah. and their group. Uh, you know, Egon bought into it. Dave Calhoun, who's running Boeing now. Dick Ebersol, who uh, ran NBC for all those days, NBC Sports. Uh, Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, who did nothing but just complain about PFF every time I saw him, <laughs> he actually came in to Cincinnati to take a look at it and asked if he could buy into the company. I'm wow. like, you're unbelievable. I want yeah. you to, I'll let you buy in, but you got to take back everything you said about it. All this <laughs> so it's just been wild. It's been really fun, though. That's an amazing uh, just confluence of events. And, and as you say, like some really, really interesting uh, big name backers alongside there with you. You know, Chris, I was reading something the other day that will come as no surprise to you and 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 wasn't totally shocking to me, but it was the list of the 20 most viewed television programs last year. And I think 15 of them, give or take, 14, 15, were professional football. This is an amazing product that you are part of creating why is it so resilient, so popular? What is it about the game, but specifically the game on television? Yeah, you know, I I think there's 
you're so intimate with the game on television. Yeah. I, I still I have season tickets to the Bengals, and uh, I go to the games when they play on Thursday or Monday night or whatever. But, you know, when I'm sitting up in the stands, I, I'm watching the game, but I'm like totally in la-la land. I, I feel like I'm watching little kids play football. It's like I'm not I'm – not, analyzing i'm not breaking it down i'm not doing any of the stuff that i might be doing on sunday night i'm just kind of watching the game and there's television timeouts and there's you know there's different things i'm just relaxing having a beer having a good time Uh, but when i'm calling the game and when hopefully when you're watching the game on nbc I mean, you've got the sky cams, you've got the, all the whatever's happening on the sidelines, whatever the strange angles, the man-to-man breakdowns that, you know, we all go through with all that stuff. And it, it feels like I'm flying a 747 or something. I've got monitors all over. I can see all these different things and, you know, trying to give you guys something that you didn't see. I always say that, you know, Al's going to tell you what happened on the play and what happened with the ball, and I'm never going to watch the ball. Like, when I broadcast, I don't watch the football at all. I watch mm. anything but and then try and give you something that you didn't see, right? Uh, because we all do that. We all watch the ball, and that's exactly what fans should be doing. So it, it, it's just it, it's such an amazing bit of technology now that you can hear what they're saying on the field. You can see from behind the quarterback. You can see what the defense – it's just it, – it, it, I just think it's an amazing watch. Uh, and it gets better and better and better all the time. And so, uh, for whatever reason, it is our national passion. Uh, I've been to so many different events, and I mean, with politicians and movie stars and – all these different people, and inevitably everybody starts a conversation with football. They all want to know what's going on with their team. They all want to know what you think about the games. You know, it's just it's just a national passion, and uh, I'm glad to be a part of it. Chris, so, I'm a native yeah. Detroiter, and I <laughs> I was writing the promo for this show, and I started out saying former Pro Bowler. And with NBC Sunday Night Football, and everybody said, well, wait a minute. Uh, you you got to remember, the, a lot of people don't remember that time when you played. I do, because <laughs> I covered you when you played in the uh, Silverdome in, uh, yeah. in the Super Bowl. And I guess I'm, I'm wondering now, uh, the time you played to today, how has the business of football changed? Well, you have to remember, free agency was was brand new then. I mean, there really wasn't any. When I first got in the league and I played in the Super Bowl in Pontiac there my first year, um, basically you either took what the team offered you or you went home. There was, I mean, try to imagine another job where you go in to your boss and and you say, I think I deserve a raise, and he says, nope, I don't think you do. And that's it. <laughs> there aren't any other options. So in my second year, fortunately for me, was uh, the, the USFL started, and I signed what was known as a futures contract to play with the Tampa Bay Bandits and Steve Spurrier, who was down there. And so I got paid um, to sign a deal where I wasn't going to play with them for another two years. 
So I had made the Pro Bowl a couple of years in a row, my first couple of years, and they signed me to this deal. And so I, I, I made more money signing that contract that I never played on than I made by playing with the Bengals for the first four years uh, that I was there. So it, it's a, it, it was just a weird world. Where now I think it's pretty much market economy at work, and yeah, the money is completely different than what it was back in the day. That was those were some tough negotiations. It was like you didn't know what the next words out of your mouth should be. Like they're like, I think I should make that. And they said no, and then you go, all right, where do you go? From yeah. There? There was <laughs> Set the stage for us for this season, especially as you look at. We're just let's start with quarterbacks. You know. They are the linchpin in so many ways. We've got some controversies around there. They really affect the economics of the game and of, of specific teams. How do you get your head around where we are right now? Um, I think you start with Patrick Mahomes. Um, he's sort of following the Tom Brady model. And, and uh, you know, everybody talks about this guy making uh, half a billion dollars and how, wow, nobody can believe it. I'm here to tell you right now, he took a team-friendly contract. Um, he was he could have made more. What, were they going to tell Patrick they weren't going to pay him? Right. You know, he could have made anything he wanted to make. And, um, and so I think the fact that he took a little less uh, set the market clearly, but Josh Allen comes right back in on top of that and makes almost what he's making in the 43 range. Uh, and then, you know, you're going to have Baker Mayfield, you're going to have Lamar Jackson, and they're all going to slide somewhere in there. I, I, I would imagine, at least from what I'm hearing from Cleveland, it sounds like that they may let uh, Baker prove a little bit more that he was the quarterback of the second half of the season instead of the first yeah. half of the season uh, going forward. But, you know, it's it's a new day, and we really haven't even seen the – uh, the the real new TV money kick in yet. Right. So uh, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to start thinking, oh, wait a minute now, if that's happening there and they've got this amount of money, then, you know, I, I, I just think we're going to enter a whole new era now of these player contracts. And you might even see some of the Patrick Mahomes going back in after a period of time and going, you know. Hey, wait a minute, guys. Remember that conversation we had? Yeah. I know you've got your first game is uh, Tampa Bay and Dallas, but three games after that, you're coming to Foxborough for the return of Tom Brady. Probably the biggest regular season game in the history of Boston sports. I don't think your salespeople have any trouble selling spots for that one. Would that be probably one of the highest rated regular season games? Are you anticipating? Oh, ever. That'll be one of the highest ever. Um, th- this is when you start your your nightly prayer session that Tom Brady comes through healthy the first month of the season because it is it, it, it's just everything you know I mean it is um, the whole week I mean you can imagine there'll be a month leading up to it you know what does this mean you know is was it, was it really that Brady was more important than Belichick and they didn't even make the playoffs without him. I mean, you know what this is going to be. It's just going to be insane. And I also know Bill Belichick very well, and he's going to say all the right things, and Tom will say all the right things. But you know those two guys are going to want this one. This is this one's something 
play add-on a little bit if you want to with this game because it's just going to be, even if it's not in their minds, the rest of us want to see this one. And we want to see what happens when Belichick puts together a defense against Tom Brady playing quarterback. And Tom Brady, who's seen all those defenses and practices and knows all the tricks of the trade from Belichick and all his inner workings of his mind. I mean, it's just two grandmasters going at it in a great chess match. And, they, you know, obviously uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but I think you could make the equal argument, maybe one of the best head coaches and defensive coordinators of all time. Chris, as a former SEC player, I got to ask you about, you know, what appears to be this realignment, as it were, that's happening in college football. You sort of synthesize that with, with what's going on with – NIL, which obviously the rules are going to be very different. How does all of these changes or how do all of these changes that seem to be happening at the college level sort of bleed into or affect pro football in your estimation? Yeah, it's, it's going to be different. Um, I, I guess we already kind of have this now, Yeah, but I, I think it's going to be more pronounced that you're going to have – uh, some super leagues emerge starting with the SEC and that we are, we are going to begin to see um, other teams just can't compete because there's going to be, whether it's NIL, whatever it is, there's going to be money floating around the college game. I guess uh, one of the the Alabama quarterback who's nicknamed Kool-Aid already has a Kool-Aid contract for like $800,000 or yeah. something. They were telling me, so there's just going to be – but then there's also going to be extraordinary pressure from within that team. Now, we're used to quarterbacks making all the money, but at least offensive linemen still get paid. You know, now you're going to get the quarterback making all the money and the other guys, you know, still trying to put together nickels to go to McDonald's. So, um, you know, I, 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 it, the whole dynamic of everything, usually it's never as bad as we all think it's going to be and there's it all works out. But different, yeah, it, it's going to be different. It's going to be different fast here uh, in the near future. What do you think about now the, the 17-game season? And we have a shortened preseason now, but 17 games. I, I, I used to be one of those guys where, yeah, make the season 18 games. You know, But it's I worry about injuries is what I'm trying to say. And I just wonder what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I, I think I think we're going to begin to see um, the possibility of teams giving slightly injured players weeks off. Um, the season is so long now, and what we learned year after year after year, just like what happened with Tampa last year, you know, Tampa's sitting there at seven and five at one point in the year. And and I, I I literally had just predicted that they were going to win the Super Bowl after they beat Green Bay. I think it was. I watched the whole tape of that, and I said, "There's no reason this team doesn't win the Super Bowl. They're that good." And then I turned around. And I think our next game was with Tampa, New Orleans, and New Orleans beat them 38 to three. And I go, "You're the biggest dumbass of all time." I haven't <laughs> any prediction ever again the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a um, you know I, I I think that we're we're just right now in the middle of anything can friggin' happen in this league. You know I, I I just don't know who it is 
that has no chance whatsoever. Houston probably would be the one team that everybody would would talk about. But it's just so compelling. And all three of you should write down who you think is going to win each division, who's going to go to the Super Bowl, and put it in an envelope. And if you want to have a really good laugh at the end of the season, go unseal those envelopes and take a look at what your predictions were. Or even better, try and do it with the draft. Try and go through on draft weekend. Like, I really study the film, and I watch all those guys that get drafted, and I put together my own mock draft stuff, and it's comical. You go back a couple years later, you go, oh, my God, I thought that guy was so good, he couldn't play a lick. And so I I think that, at best, we're all guessers. In the first round, if they get 50% of them right, it's a great year. So it's it's a magical thing. It really is. People that have spent their whole lives doing something, and you still can't pick out the best football players from college football, it's amazing. Cam Newton, Mac Jones. Bill Belichick, I did a show with him for about 15 years. You know him. He wouldn't tell you if your pants were on fire. But can pro football focus predict who will be the starting quarterback for the Patriots, Cam or Mac? And your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I – I'm going to be surprised if it's not Cam. You know, I, I really thought that, and I think Mac Jones is a good player too. I, I thought there was a real chance in the draft that the Patriots were going to do whatever it took to trade up and get Justin Fields, especially, you know, when he started falling. Because then it would have given them Cam as the starter now and a big body mobile, physical, can run the football, you know, read options, all that kind of stuff, strong-arm kind of guy, and then would have given you the same exact kind of guy to be the next in line uh, after that. Uh, they didn't do that, you know. They they ended up with, uh, with Mac, and when you watch Mac Jones play, you go, oh, I kind of get it. And I'm going to say this very, very carefully because people lose their minds when you start comparing anybody to Tom Brady. But when you just look at them on the field and play style, there is a similarity, you know. So I, I don't know if if maybe they felt that the Mac Jones style fit their offensive play caller and Josh McDaniels better. You know, I, I just I don't know, uh, but I know that uh, Nick Saban and, and Bill are like best of friends, and Nick Saban must have thought really highly of this guy if he talked Belichick into it. And um, I, I thought he was incredibly poised in that first preseason game. He just looked the part, you know. He passed the eye test. So I, I, I think you're going to see Cam early, um, but I, I do think we'll see Mac before the year's up. Hey, Chris, a, a couple of months ago, Roger Goodell issued a statement on uh, COVID protocol, and the word that stuck out was forfeit. Uh, if a team violates it, they could forfeit a game. But, you know, closer to home, players would forfeit a game check, even uh, on the unoffending team on the other side. Can this divide a locker room? Um, you know, there are players in there with wristbands on who aren't vaccinated and not vaccinated. Uh, if it ever came to a forfeit, I mean, do, do the leaders and the, and the veterans step in and say, look, guys, you know, let's get our act together here. This is a tough situation, don't you think? A really tough situation. But I think the NFL, even though they'd never admit it, 
it's been pretty much mission accomplished because that peer pressure, think about that, that, that one team could be 100% vaccinated, have zero COVID issues on the team, none, anywhere in the building. The other team could have COVID issues and not be able to play the game. And the team that was perfect would have to forfeit their game check. And I brought it up. We had our production meetings with the NFL, and I said, I go, how's that sitting around the National Football League, that you could do everything right, have no COVID issues, and you could still forfeit a game check? They were like, "Uh, it's it's not good. (laughs) There's not a lot of enthusiasm for that one. But what it's done is it's driven people to get vaccinated. The Atlanta Falcons now 100% vaccinated, I think. Around the league, the number is 91% at this point. So are there going to be a few Kirk Cousins out there that just aren't going to get it done? Yeah, they are. But we've already seen their quarterback room get wiped out, um, you know, for five days of practice. So, uh, but And the other thing that's going to happen out of this, and, we're, and I think we're already starting to see it, is those people that are unvaccinated, you better be a damn good player. You know, because it's going to be, if it's a tie, they're probably going to stick with the vaccinated player. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I have my credit card out ready to buy a subscription to Pro Football Focus because I'm a deep, deep, deep fantasy sports guy. I love playing fantasy sports. And my favorite time of the year for fantasy sports, the NFL is here. How can your company... Help me beat the snot out of these other guys who are in the Bloomberg Fantasy Football League. I promise you (laughs) that you will see things and you will get information you have never had in your life. If you don't win, I I tell you, I'll give you a money-back guarantee. You go over there, you get PFF, get the ultimate version of it, get the elite version Pay the pay the money into that thing, and if you get beat, you call me back, and I will pay your money back. That is how confident I am that they will make a difference. Same thing with gambling, same thing with fantasy. You just you go over there, and you you're going to see things you never knew about football. I I every day, those guys are giving me information that I never even thought about. These mathematicians and data scientists and it's unbelievable i mean some of the most important people in the game of football right now never put a helmet on in their entire lives that's just a fact all right well before we let you go chris i gotta ask you i mean you know looking at your cv and and seeing all that you've done as a broadcaster you know even beyond what we know you you best for you really understand this business so well future of media future of television you know you've got the data side obviously covered uh through through your company how how does that change in in the near to midterm we know it's a super popular product uh football is it and yet the consumption and the production of it continues to to change how do you keep up yeah it's hard right there's 32 teams and every day there are new stories and Honestly, when I go in to call a game, uh, my goal is to try and get to know as much as the local cab drivers know about that team. You know, it's like, I mean, there are people in Pittsburgh that have watched every single game the Pittsburgh Steelers have played since 
they were five years old and knew what football was. And so just, you know, because we only get, you know, it's impossible to keep up with everybody and still do your job. But it is also very, very, very fun, you know, that every week I get the deep dive into a couple of teams. But to answer your question, um, I do think it'll get to be more and more vertical, uh, that people are going to want exactly what they want. And if you're a fantasy player, you cannot get enough fantasy information. If you're a gambler, all you want is the gambling aspects of it. If you are a fan of just one team, um, you know, I, I don't care what the other teams are doing. I think you should do an entire pregame show about the Atlanta Falcons, and that's all I care about. I don't want to know anything else or about Notre Dame. All I want to do is know about the Notre Dame, Stanford game, ESPN. Don't show me any of those other games. I want to, I want two hours on this, and I think that's where we'll be headed. I think you'll be able to get as much as you could possibly get on those individual matchups. And the reason I'm saying that is because of PFF, that's exactly what we're yeah. going to build. Yeah. We, want, we want you to be able to go as deep as you could possibly go and get as much information on anything as you want. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure for us to spend some time with you, Chris, You know, going deep, uh, as you just said, on, on your career and everything that you're doing, both in the booth uh, and outside, I think you got some. You know, you got some new subscribers, so you know it's well worth your time just just on that alone. You so, got me, man. I'm there. So we really, really appreciate it, and uh, can't wait to to listen and, and tune in as the season gets underway. Guys, it was a real pleasure, and uh, you just call whatever you need. All right, so guys, obviously great to catch up with with Chris Collinsworth. I mean, it's funny, you know, he's one of these guys that you feel like you know him because you you listen to him just about every week, you know, Sunday night football, you've been waiting all day for Sunday night, it's, you know, a juggernaut of a show, and then you turn around and, and understand, this guy's a businessman, you know, I mean, this is this is no joke, Lynchy, this, this PFF product. Neil Hornsby in England, I'm never going to forget that I name, <laughs> I was sitting, I was in Phoenix, I was in Arizona when the Giants beat the Patriots, and I was in Indianapolis when the Giants beat the Patriots, and now I know what the secret weapon was. It wasn't Mario Manningham making the catch in front of the Giants. Bench. Yeah, some it dude over in the UK. <laughs> His secret weapon that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl in Indianapolis. Now I know. I love Barr. I love this idea that Collinsworth basically is like, I just got I just got hoodwinked, like you know, that when when he gets the call from this guy, and uh, and then it turns into one of these like fairy tale stories of like I like the company so much I bought it. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, what was that? I'm not only the yeah. president, I'm also Victor Kiam. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's two things. I am I am so glad that Chris Collinsworth gave me some street cred. Because when we talked about uh, the the games when you know the other teams got to also forfeit their paycheck, it, mm. Chris Collinsworth used almost the exact same words I said. Yeah, that you know it, it's you know I, I've done everything right and and now I'm going to lose a paycheck. How's that sitting with you? I uh, thank you, Chris, because I feel exactly the same way. And so. But let's talk about that for for a second. We can. So, what happens in in your estimate? I mean, does the league have to make a change? I, I don't think the league's going to change. 
I, I think. Uh, I mean, Goodell. he certainly didn't indicate that the league was basically like, yeah, it sort of sucks, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those deals where, okay, this is the way it's going to be. And, and Collinsworth said it right. If you're not a daggone good player, right? you know, it, it, the yep. tie is going to the vaccinated player. Yeah, yep. yeah. I thought that was a really interesting insight, Lindsay. I thought he said, I think the two words, mission accomplished. In other words, uh, uh, the word forfeit was put out there as a threat, you know, a veiled threat to the owners and also a veiled threat to the players right. as well. And the vaccination rates are increasing with every single team. And so he said, mission accomplished. So I'm going to take it that I don't think there's going to be any forfeits this year. I don't think anybody's going to lose a game check. I think more and more players are going to get vaccinated. I think guys that are wearing these wristbands and eating in another room and working out at another room in these facilities are finally going to say, you know what? I'm part of a team. You know, I'm not an individual guy. I'm going to get vaccinated. What's the, what's the harm? So I think it worked. I think he put it he, – he has a great way with words. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Yeah. And it said it all. It's almost like he should do it for a living. <laughs> yeah, you know, he'd be good at it. You know, maybe we should get him back on you, here. We should let him him. know that maybe, you know, the, he has a future in broadcasting. <laughs> and he pulled a Joe Namath, too. He guaranteed. I he know. guaranteed a win exactly. for Michael Barr. <laughs> I know. We should let the rest of the league know that they can just, uh, you know, they, no, they can just pay their money no, right no, now. No, don't let the rest of the Well, okay, tell them that. All right. But yeah. don't tell them about my secret weapon. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I had to say this. You know, we're recording this. Yeah. Uh, everybody will keep it quiet. It's yeah, right. that's right. That's right. Just just, a, just among us friends. All right, let's head to the number of the week. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Oh, Jason, we missed you, man. Oh, boy. How did Scarlett do? Uh, well. <laughs> How, she ran into the buzzsaw that is Mike Lynch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, I was a gentleman. I let, I, I let ladies guess first. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, this one, let me set it up a little bit here. And this is from our friends at Sportico. Dish Network and Sinclair Broadcasting, they've agreed to a brief extension of their expired deal. And in doing so, they ensured that 97 of the affiliates with the four major networks, CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox, will remain on the air in about 3.5 million homes. Now, that said, Bally Sports and the RSNs, they're expected to remain dark in Dish and Sling TV's 11 million households in less than an ideal outcome for Sinclair subsidiary Diamond Sports Group comes through. Oh, boy. Now, okay, you got all that. I'm already confused, but go on. All right. What I want to know is the Sinclair subsidiary, Diamond Sports Group, they purchased the channels in 2019 for what? All right. So this is Diamond Sports Group. The Sinclair subsidiary. And these are the regional sports networks? These are the regional sports networks. Okay. Big money there. Um, it's got to be in the billions. I'm gonna go. I'll go an even ten. Okay, Vinci. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go ten point one billion. Well, Jason, you guys are over, but 
it was to your advantage to go first because they purchased it in 2019 for $9.6 billion. He's back, baby. Uh, it's all da, happening. Da, 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 it's da, all da, da, happening. Da. <laughs> wow. I mean, but listen, I, I mean, to me, I mean, the fact that we both went as high as we did and we're not that far off, it goes to what we were talking about with Chris Collinsworth. Yeah. I mean, these... Like live sports and specifically football are worth so much money because so many people tune in. It's oh. just it's just crazy. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here with you each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can check that out for the extended version of our conversation with Chris Collinsworth. Catch our podcast Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. I wish I had a guarantee like Michael Barr. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. Pro Football Focus at www.pff.com. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the quiet part out loud. Uh, <laughs> I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Barr Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. <laughs> 